Thank you, choir and orchestra. I want to invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 15. The Gospel of John, chapter 15. We're beginning a new series of messages entitled, Friends. You know that the longer I live, the more value I find that the word friends has. It is a priceless word. It is precious and priceless to have friends. Some of the most gratifying and helpful relationships you'll ever have in your life will be your friends. My dad told me growing up, son, if you live your life and you have three true friends, you will have done well. The longer I live, the more I find out that that's true. True friends are very difficult to find. The real shortage in the world is not food and water. It's friends. And so I'm beginning a series of messages on friends. You know, the social media craze has shown us how incredibly important it is in our society to have and to make friends. As the world has urbanized and moved to the cities, while we've gotten closer to each other physically, we've gotten farther away in our relationships. And so Facebook now has a half a billion people on it. And, and, and the real generator of the relationships on Facebook is to friend somebody, it's called. You friend someone. Because friendship so important. You may remember about ten years ago, maybe a little longer than that, the, the game show came out, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? You remember that game show? And, and you know, you, you ask questions and you get three lifelines. You remember the lifelines? You can ask the audience. You can do 50-50 or what? Phone a friend. Listen, everybody needs a friend that you can phone. Friendship transcends age, it transcends culture, it transcends education, it goes beyond intelligence or beauty or wealth, status, social class. Every person needs friends. The famous and the infamous, the common and the aristocracy. Friendship is a common need. When Jesus Christ came, one of the names of Him, one of my favorite names of Him, when they wanted to scandalize Him, when they wanted to say something really bad about Jesus, you know what they did? They paid Him an incredible compliment. They said, this man is, he's, he's a friend of sinners. And boy, when they really wanted to make it sound bad, they said, he even eats with them. Can you believe that? I want you to learn three things in this series of messages about friends. First of all, I want you to get God's perspective on friendship. What does God's Word say about friendship? I mean the do's, and the don'ts, the demands, the depths, the distinctives of friendship. The second thing I want you to get out of this series is I want God to make every one of us better 
friends to have. Do you know what typically destroys a marriage? They stop being friends. I mean, when I when somebody starts pressing the panic button in their marriage and they get me involved, when I start working with them, you know what I find typically is that they have breached each other's trust and they can't even be friends hardly. And that's what's severing their relationship. Friendship. God make us better friends. Jesus Christ was the best friend anybody ever had. And when He came, they all marveled. This guy is just, he's, he's a friend of everybody, they said. Yes, He is. And even when He died on the cross, He was still everybody's friend. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now that sounds like the language of a friend, doesn't it? And so I want God to make us better friends because somehow or another, in our Christianity and in, the, in America, somehow we've, we, we've kind of lost the simplicity of it. When you're right with Jesus Christ, it's going to make you a great friend for people to have. But then thirdly, I want God to change us during this series to where that we would intentionally begin to make friends and begin to export what God has put in our heart to be a friend of people so that we could make friends forever. You realize that when you make a friend as a believer and you win that friend to Jesus Christ, you have made a friend that will last forever and forever and forever. I mean, you're going to spend eternity with that person. That's awesome. You're going to help save their soul. And what does our church... Our church needs to be friends. You need to find some friends. Listen, God did not just call us to connect with Him, but to connect with others too. That's why we have these life groups every week for you to come and build relationships and friendships and for you to share life together. So let's dive in today. I want you to see the first message. The first message today about friends is you need to meet Jesus, the ultimate friend. Because you've got to understand the friendship that we have with God before you can understand the friendship that we have with others. Okay? Jesus the ultimate, the best friend you will ever be able to make in your life is Jesus Christ, dear friend. If you are lonely, let me show you the best friend. Maybe you're in a crowd of hundreds and thousands. Maybe you've got 2,500 on your Facebook as your friends. But let me tell you, there is one friend that will stick closer than a brother. There is one friend that will never leave you nor forsake you. There is one friend who will make the difference in your life. And his name is Jesus Christ. And so I just want to show you two simple principles tonight. Write these down, or this is actually in the morning still. So today... Take out a pen, write them down, you know, inscribe them on your arm somewhere. But, but keep some notes here this morning. I'm going to show you a few things about Jesus being your best friend. First of all, Jesus makes it possible. He gives us a special relationship with God. This is why He's the best friend you'll ever have. When Jesus Christ is your friend and you are His friend... You have a special relationship with God. Let me just say to you that whenever I start talking about God or Jesus being our friend, 
some believers begin to get concerned. They begin to think that I'm somehow diminishing the holy power of Almighty God by calling Him a friend. They may think that somehow I'm lowering the reverential awe that I should have toward God by calling Him a friend. Or as if I am not uh, giving Him the proper deference that He should be receiving from me as a preacher of the gospel. Listen, dear friend, I believe that God is holy and that He is totally distinct from me and from you. He's not like me. He's not like you. He's never done anything wrong. He is infinitely powerful. I have very little power. He is infinitely wise. He knows everything. I have very little wisdom compared to Him. He is everywhere. I am here. He is infinite. I am finite. He is eternal. I am not. Listen, I understand God does not change, but I change a lot. Listen, God is great, and I am not trying to diminish Him by calling Him a friend. And that's not the reason Jesus Christ called us friends. It wasn't to diminish God. It was to show us what type of a relationship we have with Almighty God. It wasn't to change God. It was to help us to understand how intimate and close this relationship is. So I want you to look at the text this morning. John chapter 15 and verse 13, Jesus is having one of His final conversations with the disciples. And He says it like this, Greater love has no man or no one than this, than He laid down His life for His friends. And you are My friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Look at this. Jesus says, I don't call you servants. I call you friends. Well, wow. Our relationship with Jesus gives us a special relationship with God. Now we benefit from three things that Jesus has done for us. First of all, we benefit from His selflessness. Jesus was selfless. Listen, you want to know who a true friend is? You find somebody who doesn't have their own agenda in mind, but rather are trying to help you. Right? Now understand, God has an agenda for your life, but that agenda is the very best agenda for you. Because there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death. And if you just go the way you think's the right way or the best way, then you will go headlong into an eternity without God. You will go headlong into a life that is corrupt and wasted and a life filled with pain and tragedy. But if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to find that He loved you more than anyone. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this. And He laid down His life for His friends. You know what Jesus has done for you? You say, how is it you could say Jesus is my best friend? What has He done for me? You say, I've had a rough life. My upbringing was hard. I don't minimize that. 
Tragedy has been a part of my life in different facets and facets, from my parents to my adult life to my childhood. I've had heartbreak after heartbreak. How could you tell me that He loves me and that He has shown that love? How could you say that? Listen, I've got physical problems. I've got financial problems. How could you say with such passion that He loves me more than anyone else? I'll tell you how I can say that. The Bible says, but God has commended His love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus showed His love to you, not by taking away all your suffering, not by taking away all your pain, although that will happen one day. He did it by dying on the cross for you. Now, there are a lot of people in this world that want to take the best part of you. There are a lot of people in this world that want to take your beauty and use it for themselves. They want to take your purity and use it for themselves. They want to take your money and use it for themselves. They want to take your power and your position and use it for There are a lot of people that want to take the best part of you. But I'll tell you, dear friend, Jesus didn't just take the best part of you. He took the worst part of you. He took the part of you that you've tried to cover up. The part of you you don't even want to admit is there. The part of you you wish you could forget. He took your sin. He took the darkest part of you. And He said, I will make that my own. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And Jesus Christ took Clayton's sin. And He took it upon Himself. And He died upon the cross for my sin. We benefited from His selflessness. No one has ever loved you like Jesus Christ loved you. No one. He should be your best friend. Who are you letting call the shots in your life? Who are you letting direct your life? Who are you allowing to influence you? Your friends. That's who they are. You better be careful about who you pick to be your friends. Jesus would be the best friend you could pick. His selflessness, we benefit from it. But let me tell you also, we benefit from His faithfulness. When you ask somebody, give me some characteristics of a friend. Tell me some characteristics of a friend. I've been doing that the last few weeks in preparation for this series. And here's what I've been hearing. From everybody, I hear this one thing. I hear many things, but I hear this one for sure. They say loyal. A friend is with you through thick and thin, they say. A friend is faithful to the end. A friend doesn't desert you in your time of need. A friend, a true friend, will say the same thing about you in front of you as they say about you in front of others. Amen? Ain't that the truth? I mean, they're not ashamed of you. A true friend will claim you and actually stand up for you in any context. The book of Job in the Bible is the story about a man named Job. And it has for its theme friendship. One of its many themes. Because Job lost everything he had. His children die. He loses all of his possessions and then he loses his health. His wife's allowed to live but she tells him why don't you give up your integrity and curse god and die now that'll bless you and job is sitting there scraping his sores and job's friends come to him three of them and they spend a week with him and they never say anything 
They just cry with him and sit with him. And then they begin to try to draw him out. And they say, Job, come on, man. You need to go ahead and confess these sins you've committed that's caused you to have all of this stuff happen to you. You've brought all this upon yourself. Now, that's the chlor paraphrase of many chapters in the book of Job, but that's what they're talking about. You know, some friends. And here's what Job says. In Job 16, he says, My friends scorn me. My eyes pour out tears to God. Oh, look at this. Oh, that one might plead for a man with God as a man pleads for his neighbor. I like the translation that translates that word translated neighbor there, friend. Job says, oh, I wish one of my friends would stand before God and plead for me. I want to ask you, dear friend, do you you want to stand before God by yourself? Do you? I was witnessing to a man some years ago, and I asked him, if he died tonight and stood before God, and he asked you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you tell him? And here's what the man said to me. He said, I think I can talk my way in. Do you think you can talk your way in? Do you really think God can be easily duped? No. There's only one way you'll get in. And it will not be because of your own goodness and righteousness. It will be because when you stand before God, you have someone to plead your cause. And His name is Jesus. The Bible says, Amen. In First Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 5, look at what the Scripture says. For there is one God... And one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ, Jesus. When you stand before God, you're going to need somebody who will argue on your behalf, who will stand in your stead and say, yes, Clayton is a sinner, but I have paid for his sin and he is with me. And God will let us into glory because of Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 2, in verse number 1 and 2, the Bible says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. We have an advocate who will stand. Listen, He'll be faithful to you. Aren't you glad that when you are called before God, that Jesus doesn't say, Oh, I, I, I didn't know Him. If you've given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, Jesus will be your advocate. But if you have not, then He will say, Depart from me. I never knew you. He's the best friend you'll ever have. We benefit from His selflessness. We benefit from His faithfulness. Let me tell you thirdly, we benefit from His openness. Now, now I want you to buckle your seatbelt here, and I want you to listen up close. Draw up a chair. I, I don't mind being quoted, but I hate being misquoted, so I need you to listen. You know, stir yourself, wake up a little bit, kind of stretch some. In John 15, this verse is often referred to, but seldom interpreted correctly. Jesus says in verse 15, 
No longer do I call you servants. Well, you say, well, why not? Why didn't he call us a servant? For a servant does not know what his master is doing. The picture here is that Jesus says, I don't just call you servants because the servants, he's working over here somewhere in the master's household and he doesn't have a clue what the master's doing. He doesn't really know what the purpose of the master is. He doesn't know what the plan of the master is. He doesn't know what the master is really doing. He's just fulfilling his one task. Maybe he's grinding meal and that's all he knows to do. He doesn't know what it goes for. He doesn't. He said, that's the way a servant is. I don't call you a servant. He says, I call you friends. For all things I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You see what he says? One of the benefits of Jesus being our friend is that he shares things with us. He opens up his heart and he actually reveals things to us about what's going on in our life, about what he's doing in our life, and about the way he's working in our life, and about his purposes. You remember in Abraham's life, Abraham was called a friend of God. You find that in the book of Second Chronicles. You find it as well in Isaiah 41. Abraham's a friend of God. In Genesis 18, here's what God says. The Lord came down and actually ate dinner with Abraham. And he had two angels with him. And the Bible says, Then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on the way. This is after the Lord had dinner with him. And the Lord said... Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed by him. For I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. God says, Am I going to hide what I'm doing? Am I going to keep it from Abraham or should I tell him? And you know what the Lord decided to do? He decided to tell Abraham what he was doing. Listen, God speaks to his children. God shows you what he's doing. How does he speak to his children? First of all, through his word. This is the primary way God speaks to his children. Through his word, he did not leave us Ignorant, we can understand the truth through the Word of God. God has opened up His heart and shared His heart with us so that we can know what He's doing in our life, so we can interpret these real events that trouble us. And that's why the Bible calls Abraham a friend of God. In James 2 and verse 23, the Bible says, And the Scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Well, Jesus then took that and shared with us that I don't call you a servant, I call you a friend. Why? Because I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. Have you ever had anything happen in your life and God spoke to you and told you what he was doing? Anybody out there ever had that happen? I'm not talking about he spoke with an audible voice, but I'm talking about he made it very clear to you that this storm that has ridden into your life is for a purpose. 
He's going to fashion you. He's going to form you. And He's going to work. I remember when this search committee from this church called me. February 27, 2003. First time I talked to them. They said, we're looking for a pastor. wonder if you'd pray about considering becoming our pastor. And I said, yes, I would. Now, I had already had about a dozen churches contacted me, and I had just turned every one of them down. I didn't have that direction to, to, to move forward with any of those. But when this church called me, I began to pray about it. And that very day, February the 27th, 2003, I knew that God was going to call me here to be your pastor. Now, I haven't had that experience before or since in relationship with church. I just knew it. God had ripened that in my heart, and He impressed that upon me, and He sealed it, and this this was His truth. Well, we've started working with that search committee until about the end of April, maybe early May, and I just didn't have a piece about moving forward at the way things were going. And I told the search committee here at the church, I said, you know, I just don't have any peace with it right now. I want you to go ahead and start considering somebody else. I'm going to withdraw my name out of consideration. And so that was in May. All the while, I knew, I believed in my heart, God had spoken to me that they were going to come back to me and that this process for them was going to be better for the church and it was going to prepare me for it. The timing had to be right. And sure enough, July came around. The phone rang again. And it was Art Eaton Sr., who was the chairman of this search committee. And he said, Clayton, would you consider allowing yourself to be considered again? I said, Art, I've been waiting on you to call for two months. Where have you been? Son? I knew you were going to call me back. I did. I just knew that. I journal. I've been journaling for about 14 years. And, and there have been multiple times like that when the Lord has showed me something. And, um, and sure enough, first Sunday in September 2003, I was, I was here in view of a call and you called me to be your pastor. And first Sunday in October 2003, I started my ministry here. And, and you say, well, God hadn't been, well, God hadn't showed me anything in a while. What's the last thing God showed you? You be true to the last thing He showed you. He'll be open with you. God's not hiding stuff from you. God doesn't play games with His children. God's not, He's not entertained by making us squirm. Sometimes I hear people talk like that. Well, listen, that's your talking. That's not what the way the Word of God says God is. He doesn't hide things. God gives very clear direction out of His Word, and He speaks to His children. It is He who works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure, the Bible says. God's at work in your life. Wow! We have this special relationship with God, and we benefit from His openness. Moses had the same benefit. In Exodus 33 and verse 11, look at what the Bible says, talking about Moses' friendship with God. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And see, that's what Jesus makes reference to here in John 15 and verse 15. Here, here's the principle. Follow this with me now. Jesus said, I don't call you a servant. I call you a friend. And here's why. Because I've declared to you everything that my Father's doing. Here's what we're up to. Jesus said, I want you to see the dream that I am fulfilling and living out for this world. And if you're a friend of somebody, you will see their dream. 
Jesus said, I want you to see the dream, and then I want you to share in that dream. You understand, we're a friend of God. We're not just a servant in one place, ignorant of what God's doing. He's showed us what He's doing. He is seeking people to worship Him. He's bringing the world into Himself. This world is heading in a collision course for Jesus Christ. He has shown us what He is doing. We now get to see His dream. We get to share His dream. And we even get to shape His dream. We get to be a part of it. Look in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give you. How about that? You've seen the dream so clearly now. You embody the dream. You share it. And you're actually shaping it. You're asking the Father for things, and He's giving it to you. Hello, y'all out there? Jesus gives us a special relationship with God. We benefit from His selflessness. We benefit from His faithfulness. And we benefit from His openness. We have unhindered communion and access to God. Sometimes I meet folks who come out of a church tradition and uh, they call me Father. Now, in, in our church tradition, we don't call our pastors Father. One of the main reasons for that, you don't find it referenced in the Scripture. Now, you do find... Paul talking about Timothy as being a father to a son. But sometimes people will come to me as a pastor and think that I have access to God that they don't have as a believer. Meaning that somehow I can pray to God in a way that maybe they can't pray. Or they don't have that privilege. Dear friend, I want to dispel that myth right now. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ... You can talk to God as well as I can. Listen, dear friend, you can. You don't have to talk to God through me. You don't. Now, obviously, it's very biblical to ask one another to pray for one another and certainly to have your pastor pray for you. It's actually uh, told in James chapter 5 that when you're sick, you ought to call for your pastors and have them to pray for you uh, when you're sick. And the prayer of faith will... Heal the sick. And so there's no question there's biblical mandates for you to ask your pastor to pray for you. But understand, you can have communion with God. You get that open relationship with Him. He's, he's a friend to us. So we benefit from this special relationship. Let me show you secondly. We benefit and He gives us a sweet fellowship with God. Friendship is about fellowship. And I'm going to show you three quick things before we close today. The fellowship you have with God. First of all, He's always with us. You think about the word friendship. A friend is somebody who's going to be there through thick and thin. A friend is somebody who helps you. A friend is someone who will stand with you. Well, I want to commend the greatest friend you'll ever have. His name is Jesus. The Bible says that He will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said, All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you remember the 23rd Psalm? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with 
me. Thy rod and thy staff. You're with me. Jesus Christ will always be with you. In Acts chapter 18, the Apostle Paul was going through a great day of fear in his life. Now sometimes we like to romanticize Paul and we think that he never had a fear. We think that he never really had a problem. I mean, after all, he was scourged five times. He was stoned and left for dead. He was incarcerated for at least three years. He was thrown about on ships and shipwrecked. I mean, come on. How could this guy ever have any fear? Acts 18 and verse 9, the Lord comes to him at Corinth. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid. Do you know why he told him not to be afraid? Because he was scared. That's what it was. He was scared. And God said, don't be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. Look at verse 10. For I am with you. He's always with us. In 1999, I had the opportunity to travel to the country of Yemen on a mission trip there. I don't talk about my travels there too much, but it's been 12 years ago. I think I'm safe now. But I was working with some of our people that live there in that very difficult nation and work there. Five weeks before we made our trip, actually, excuse me, it was four weeks before we made the trip, there were 15 hostages taken from the people that I was going to be working with by some of the tribal people there, the same tribal people that Al-Qaeda has started camps there, the same tribal people that, are, that you see on the news now had taken a lot of hostages. And there had been an, an effort to try to free those hostages, and four of those hostages had been killed. One week before I went there, six more hostages had been taken in that same area on the same road I'm going for the same purpose. That I was going. And so I, I tell you, I had to get a word from God to confirm that I was still supposed to go. But God confirmed it to me very clearly, and, and I just don't have time to unpack it. But it was incredible. I've got it all journaled. The day we flew out to go to Yemen, our flight was mysteriously delayed, and we missed our connecting flight in Amsterdam and had to stay overnight. The airline put us up. And the next morning I got up to have my regular devotion. My passage of Scripture had already been decided for me and I didn't know what it was. I got up that next morning, I opened up my devotion and my passage of Scripture was Esther chapter 4. Now you may not recall what's in the book of Esther in chapter 4, but basically Esther has to go before the king and ask him to let the Jewish people be delivered and if the king does not extend his golden scepter, then Esther will be beheaded or hung in the gallows for barging in on the king. And so Esther tells Mordecai and her family of Jewish people, she says, pray for me. In fact, they fasted for days that when I go before the king, he'll hear me. And here's her immortal words in Esther 4. She said, if I perish... I perish. Now, i got to tell you, that wasn't very comforting for me. I was about to fly in to Yemen, and, and, and I told my group, there's only three of us, so me and two others, I said, well, the word of the day is, if we perish, we perish. So, 
Uh, we loaded the airplane and flew through Saudi and then on into Sana, Yemen, landed there in the dark of night, came out of that airport, a very dark, dangerous place, um, and had just one or two people there to pick us up, and they were clandestine, and we were being very careful, went out and got in our vehicle, and drove to the flat we were going to sleep in that night before we traveled to the destination the next day for us to do our ministry. We pulled up the flat we were staying in. There was a truck outside that had two armed men in it with big guns. Now, that was not the welcome wagon. They didn't give us any gifts or cookies. And they weren't there for our protection either. They were there for our surveillance. We got out and went in the gate. Quickly, I might add. And that courtyard had small stone gravel courtyard for a parking lot. Very small stone. And so when you'd walk on it, go, and we we rushed into the place. We shut the door. Now we we didn't want to act scared, but we we got in there. How are you? I'm doing good. Let's bolt the door. Yes, let's do it. And uh, what good it would do, I don't know, but. we got in there, we had dinner together. Six of those hostages were still being held. And uh, we prayed together, we had our devotion, we talked about our mission, and we went to bed. <clears throat> My team, we were sleeping in one room in that flat. And so we all laid down, turned off the light. The moon was just brilliant that night, shining in the light. We never heard that truck crank and drive off. Kind of hoped we would. We didn't. And we laid there about two hours. None of us talked. We didn't want to show the other we were still awake. We were all awake. Eyes wide open. I mean, we had the high beams on, you know. Looked like an owl. Talking to God. If I perish, I perish. You know, it's it's the word. And we heard the gate open. Well, my heart started. My heart is never beating like that before or since. And the other guys must have heard it because we all jumped up. What is that? We. We raised the other man that was there with us. He went down to the door. He opened the door. The man came in. It felt like uh, when Samuel went to Bethlehem. You remember when he came, they said, Comest thou peaceably? That's what was our spirit. We were like, You come peace? Bring in peace or what? It ended up being one of the six hostages had been released. And he had gotten a ride to Sana and knew where we were going to be staying and came to that flat to find refuge. Now that was comforting in some ways and it was very concerning in others because if he knew where we were, everybody knew where we were. I mean, if it was that easy for him to find us. I'll tell you, it like to scared me to death. Now I could cloak that in all this spiritual language. I was not really scared. No, I was scared. I was scared. But God just spoke to me and comforted me that night. 
I've never been scared again on a mission trip or for that matter anywhere like that. I am with you always. That's what happened to Paul in Acts 18. Listen, the best friend you'll ever have is Jesus Christ because if Jesus Christ is your best friend, you will never be alone. I don't care what you face, you will never face it alone. One of the dear, precious saints of our church, Miss Fran Starnes, passed away this week and went to heaven. Her husband Morgan died a few years ago and went to heaven. Today from 2 to 4 at Baldwin Fairchild on Plant Street will be the viewing. And and then tomorrow at 10 o'clock we'll have the service here. Miss Fran had fought cancer for many years and, and none of us really thought that she'd outlive Morgan. But she did. And even as a widow, she was never alone. Her Lord was with her. Jesus said, I'll be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. What a friend we have in Jesus. Let me me show you a second aspect of this sweet fellowship we have with God through Jesus is that He's going to take everything in your life and Jesus has a purpose for everything that happens to us. You see, when you're in this love relationship with Jesus Christ, when you're one of His children, then there's going to be some bad things happen to you. There were bad things that happened to Jesus. It was a bad thing for Him to be crucified and beaten. That was bad. But God used it for good. They crucified the Lord of glory, Peter said. But yet, God used it for His good. Joseph had some bad things happen to him. He was sold into slavery, but God used it for his good. David had some bad things happen to him. Saul hunted him like a dog, but God used it for David's good and God's glory. God has a purpose. I want to show you a verse, Romans eight twenty-eight. The Bible says, and we know. We know? Yeah, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Now let me tell you, this verse does not say that all things are good. It does not say that. It says that all things work together for good. God can take the good, the bad, and the ugly. And when He's got His children in His hand, dear friend, He can... Mix that into something beautiful. He can weave a glorious tapestry out of these events in our lives. And God's going to do that in every... Now, you don't have a friend other than Jesus who can do that. Now, you've got friends who, like Job, had friends who can sit with you and weep with you and cry with you, but they can't take your circumstances and turn them into something good. Only Jesus can do that. He's the best friend you'll ever have. Let me say to you thirdly, that He always has our best interest in mind. See, a real friend is somebody who's going to do what's best for you. Do you know that when you approach Jesus Christ and when He approaches you, He is not judgmental. He's not. He's not judgmental. When the Samaritan woman who had had five husbands and was sleeping 
with a man who was not one of her husbands. When she came to draw water at the well, do you remember what Jesus said to her? Jesus said, give me a drink. And she was shocked. She said, what are you doing, a Jew, asking me, a Samaritan, for a drink? Jesus was asking for a drink out of her own cup. Wow. He was not judging her. You remember they brought the woman caught in adultery and threw her at Jesus' feet. They picked up stones and said, Moses says she has to be stoned. What say you? Jesus said he was without sin cast the first stone. He was not judgmental toward her. Jesus Christ will treat you like a friend. Even when he was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus Christ will treat you like a friend. He's not temperamental. Sometimes I hear people talk about Jesus as if he's, he's temperamental. Boy, he's going to whip me tonight. Boy, he's going to wire me out for the way I've been acting. But today I went to church. He likes me today. Yeah. Come on. That's not the... He's not temperamental. You know what? He is always going to treat you as if you are valuable. You are never an inconvenience to Jesus. He said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come, the doors are open. Ask and I'll, I'll answer you. Seek and you'll find. Come on, come to me. That's His Spirit. That's why the sinners love to be around Him because He was not judgmental and He was not temperamental. And he was not detrimental to any of them. Everything he did was for their good and for their glory. Now let me close with this. Jesus Christ will not force his friendship upon you. He is a friend of yours whether you like it or not. He's already died for your sin. In fact, he's the best friend you'll ever have. He's given you life. He's even brought you to this place today to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died for you 2,000 years ago. He called me to preach. He sustained the church these many years. He got the Word of God into our language. He got people here. He got you born. He got you here to this place today to show you what a friend we have in Jesus. But He will not force you to be His friend. In fact, go back to John 15. Let me show you one more truth out of here that relates to this. He says, greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. You see that? Jesus, Jesus is your friend. He was a friend of every sinner. He was a friend of every person. But not everybody was Jesus' friend. Who were, who were his friends? You are my friends if you do what I command you. That's how you become His friend. Now, He is your friend. He wants to be your friend, but He will only import the type of friendship that He exports. Let me say it to you again. He only imports the type that He exports. What type does He export? True friendship. See, He doesn't let people use Him. You don't dupe Jesus. You, know, you don't talk out of both sides of your mouth and be one of his friends. He knows. Because everything you say, he hears. Let me tell you who are his friends, people who obey him. Now, the word obey comes from three different roots. 
I mean, three different streams go into this thought of obey. First of all, hearing the Word of God, trusting the Word of God, and acting on the Word of God. That's what faith is. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There's the root of it. The tree is trust, and the fruit is action. So if you really believe in Jesus today, you will be His friend. Isn't that good? I want you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. And I want to ask you today, is Jesus your friend? I mean, are you His friend? Have you trusted Jesus Christ? In the first service, we had two precious people come and give their heart to Christ. I want to invite you today. If Jesus Christ is not living in your heart and you have never chosen Him to be your Lord and Savior, then I... I pray right now that you'd call on His name. He'll be the best friend you've ever had. And you can do that by praying something like this. Just say, Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned. And I don't want to sin anymore. Have mercy on me. Jesus, I believe You're the Son of God. I believe that You died on the cross to pay for my sin. As best I know how, I give my life to You. Save me. Lord Jesus. Now, dear friend, trust Him to do what you just asked Him to do. And when we stand and sing in just a moment, if you prayed and asked Christ to save you, just leave your seat and come. Just come. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for people to have the courage to say yes to You, to obey Your commands, and put their faith and their trust in You. I pray, Lord, for souls to be saved. I pray, Father, that people would come to join our fellowship, join our church, that you'd be pleased for these moments of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Now look this way, just a minute. We're going to stand and sing in just a minute. Our pastors are going to be standing here at the head of these aisles. If you prayed and asked Christ to save you, you come today. It could be that you're looking for a church home or you need believer's baptism. We're going to baptize two at the end of the invitation. Then why don't you come today? Say, I'm ready to follow Jesus. But you do what God's led you to do, all right? So let's stand together, Justin. You lead us, and you step out and come right now. Come and find Jesus, would you?